Welcome to the T-Hut Podcast. I'm Leland Steele. And I'm Moby. And it is quite calm and pleasant today because we have no guest once again. It is evening. The air is slightly cool. It's almost fall. <laughs> almost fall, yes. Both fall of the season and the final fall of the podcast, which I'm sure a listener has been waiting for. <laughs> oh, yes, I am uh, sitting here nursing a pulled uh, adductor, uh, a.k.a. my groin, and have a nice uh, cold beanbag on it sitting here in my boxers. <laughs> I am also in my boxers, nursing, <laughs> nursing like my third left ankle injury of the summer, somehow. Ugh. Listener, how do I put this? We are not of this century. <laughs> That's how I would put it for Leland and I. We are ancient. Look upon these bodies in despair, for no, no good cartilage remains. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) yeah uh, it's getting pretty brutal man it's getting pretty brutal and uh, you know we we discussed last uh episode like how we're both trying to get back into healthy eating and you know getting into a routine i think my strength is coming back at the gym but like it's just nowhere near what it used to be like a decade ago you know like yeah it's it's actually pretty disheartening (laughs) going in and doing some of your favorite lifts and then not and doing like maybe 70% of what I used to be able to do. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I mean, you you report to to us on our uh, our little group chat every day about your working out. And I know you're really trying. Um, It just sucks. Like, you know, what's that old cliche? Spirit is willing, but body is not. <laughs> right. And I, and I feel that goes for both of us. I mean, uh, you know, myself, I haven't ran in over a month, which my weight has fluctuated a lot over the years, but I I have always consistently ran and you know, these successive ankle injuries. Um and some of them were legitimate injuries. Like I can trace exactly how they happened, but um, you know, they just take forever to heal and then it's so easy to re injure something again. You know, me me doing walks, like, okay, it was great to do some walks last week before the most recent injury, but, like, I always felt that, like, walks were for, like, old people. And now I'm doing them. <laughs> now they're for us. Now they're for us. Well, you know, I usually usually try to get in my uh, recommended 10,000 steps a day. Although I heard a, I heard something on the radio about, like, a new-ish study uh, in relation to fending off Alzheimer's if by getting in... I think if the range was like four to nine thousand steps daily, then you're in that like prime range that that is supposed to help you in your later years fend off Alzheimer's. But I mean, it feels like the, you know every couple of months they have a new thing that helps against some something as far as old age goes. So I don't know how much validity there is behind it, but. Well, yeah, and that that new something that helps your health replaces something we've been told for 20 years helps your health. Oh, true. And is suddenly true. terrible for you. I still don't know if you can have eggs. I, yeah, that's a great <laughs> point. Eggs are like this thing on like the, the eggs are on like the tip of Mount Everest, like the peak. And it's like you don't know which way an egg should drop. Right. It's like, <laughs> is, is an egg good or bad? We we still don't know. <laughs> well, what a life's many mysteries that science 
apparently cannot figure out. <laughs> Just apparently like heavy drinking. They can't figure out that that's bad at all. It's according to recent <laughs> studies. Isn't it always like the binge drinking that they've always said is bad? Uh, yes. Yes, I think for, I think so for the most part. Any other damage is kind of um, slow burn that you can do to your body. You know, though, the definition of binge drinking is... Does it sound like binge drinking to me? You know, like, that means every time that we had got, we had got together in our 20s to have a quote-unquote few drinks, we were binge drinking for 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's ridiculous. And I mean, there are certainly times where we did binge drink. But, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'll admit I'm a pretty heavy drinker. And over the weekend, you know, if I have like a bottle and some coolers spread out and, you know, I'm slowly drinking stuff from like one in the afternoon until 3 a.m. and then going to sleep and doing that Friday and Saturday. I mean, is that a, is that a binge if you're like literally having a glass every hour and a half? But I, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. But on that note, we have happier things <laughs> to discuss, not related to health and tissue damage. We are uh, we're doing a little experiment today, listener. Um, so in addition to the banter segment, I had the idea of timed mini segments. So we're going to run through four relatively simple mini segments. Again, this is all an experiment, but Leland will be timing. And if we happen to come to the end of a segment where we're not yet ready to organically move on, we must tie it up and immediately move on within seconds. And I want to see how that works. Just to shake things I up. I like it. Yeah, no, I, I, I can dig it. Uh, it is going to hopefully prevent us from, well, I, I say us, but predominantly I mean me, myself being in, intensely long-winded. <laughs> so... The, et- the edit may not come out to 15 exactly, but real time for us will be 15 minutes exactly. <laughs> you will hear the beeper go off when it's time for us to change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I jokingly want to say we really need this timer for discussing anything Star Wars. Um, like, <laughs> we'll just go. We'll just go. It's just like <laughs> taking off down the salt flats of Death Valley in a, you know, jet-powered car. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's let's jump into the banter segment here, uh, Leland. I, I mean, I've got one piece, but do you have something to bring to the table? Uh, yeah, I got, I've got two. Um, they're mostly complaints. I just want to complain about Thor: Love and Thunder and Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power. Interesting. Uh, we'll start with Love and Thunder. Uh, I will say that both of these relatively new uh, movie, in the case of love and thunder and obviously the new lord of the rings uh amazon prime television series uh both really underwhelmed me love and thunder uh i mean the follow-up to thor ragnarok which i mean i absolutely love like you and i both love thor ragnarok yeah taika waititi is is a great director and he makes a lot of good movies but i i i don't know what went wrong with love and thunder it was uh the I think overarchingly the 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 worst thing about this film was its pacing. It was so rushed like the whole way through. Like they just and, and the plot is relatively simple, but like it feels like they just tried to blitz through the plot. Uh very few of the jokes landed for me. I think I might have laughed out loud like a, in a single instance 
like a, a genuine like laugh. I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know. It was just very, very underwhelming. Oh, that's too bad. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I do. I did see um, Ragnarok with you. Um, it was a lot of fun. I believe it was when we did a now very rare special on it. Yeah, pretty sure. And yeah, we were all happy. Uh, you, myself, and and Marty with it. And it's sad to hear that this happened, especially Taika Waititi has done it before. They gave him full creative control. And it's like, really, this is what you come up with? Like, you, you could have done better, bro. Like, it's all on you. You know, you wrote it. You directed it. You had free, you know, total creative control. You know, I wonder if it is, if, like, if just to come up with a very simple explanation for it, I wonder if you could boil it down to there just simply being no Loki as Thor's, like, actual foil like Ragnarok had. It's just, like, everybody that was there to interact with Thor. I mean, obviously, Chris Hemsworth is very good as Thor, and Thor is, like, this goofy, affable moron now, right? Right. Uh, right. And I say that positively. <laughs> like, that that's a positive for the, for, for the character of Thor. Uh, but in this movie, there was nothing to balance it out. Like, every other character was very much like that. I'm like, like, Jane Foster was also very, like, awkward and, and, and kind of clumsy. It was like this, this, just basically a reflection of Thor's characterist, uh, characteristics. And so there's nothing to offset any of it, I think, is a really big failing of it. I mean, even, uh, like, at the beginning, like, you know, he went off with the Guardians of the Galaxy... Like, there's not really much done with the Guardians either. Like, everything's just so quickly like, okay, let's move along now to the next scene and to the next joke. Right. And right. it just, yeah, it just didn't work. It didn't work at all. Yeah, I mean, again, I haven't seen it, but what, what you're describing makes it seem like even though a lot of the dialogue gets improved in a Taika YTT movie, that it was still staged. And that it's like, haha, do, you know, quick little improv. Okay, now we got to move here. Now we got to move here. Try joke, you know, number like 22. Okay, move again. And yeah, it's it's disappointing. I think it's been a disappointment to Marvel. Um, I think Taika Waititi actually came out in the last week and said, you know, it wasn't his best work and he's not super proud of it. Hmm. Don't don't quote me on that. But uh... and, you know, it came. I don't know if if. Its reception was a result or a reflection on just how quickly it came to Disney Plus. Literally, like two months to the day of its theatrical release, it was put on Disney Plus. That's that's insane. I didn't even know that. So fast, so fast. Well, it came out July eighth, and September eighth, I believe, was the day it dropped on Disney Plus. If not, a couple of days earlier. So, like two months. Wow. Yeah, I'll I'll have to take a look. That's uh, that's insanity. Yeah, I'll have to watch it and get back to uh, listener next month with my thoughts on it. My one banter is is rather interesting. I can't tell if it's just agent speak, but um, just came out in the last day that uh, Amber Heard, her agent Jessica, I'm gonna get the last name wrong, Kovacic. I think is how it's pronounced, Kovacic, or Kovacevic. She said that she was shocked that after her appearance in Aquaman 1 that Amber Heard's career didn't take off, and she didn't get all these leading woman 
uh, roles and things like that. And, you know, it just came across to me as like very entitled. Um, you know, she said, well, if you're part of a billion dollar franchise, you have a right to, you know, shoot for the stars. And I'm like, okay, it was one role. It was a supporting role. She's obviously gotten her own shit legal wise. And like, like why it's, it's unnecessary. Why would you come out and make a public statement saying that she should be more famous? <laughs> like, is that coming from her? <laughs> is she trying to like, is, is her? Cause I wouldn't put it past her at this point. I hate to say, is she channeling through her agent? Like, Oh, give me more work. Like, I don't get what the purpose of this is because nobody likes a whiner. So, you know, if I came out, if I was an actor and I came out and I said, you know, boo-hoo, I'm not getting good roles because I had a supporting role in Baghead 3. Okay, maybe that's an exaggeration. <laughs> Come here, Jack. Do you think, do you think, uh, like, they're trying to draw comparisons to Margot Robbie? How, she, you know, she, she played Harley and now she got her own movie and now she's a much larger part of the DCEU. You know, that's interesting. And I've got one of the articles I read open here and I'm actually just... Uh, scrolling it up and down to see if there's anything mentioned like that. Uh, there are not comparisons um, to other other uh, uh, actresses. But the one thing that does stick out as I, I rotate this article up and down is that I forget that Aquaman came out in 2018. And I forget that 2018 is now four years ago. So... You know, Heard was in the film long before she had her legal issues. So I think that's even more on her. I mean, like, what what, what are you going to argue? Like, she's, she's a white blonde from Texas who's, you know, traditionally considered good looking. And it's like, like, like what, what are you going to say prejudice was put in front of her? Really? <laughs> right. Maybe she's just not a great actress and people just don't care about eye candy that much anymore. I mean, I feel like she was literally in Machete Kills just to be eye candy. I mean, you look at her role and it was funny, but it was literally to be this like blonde bimbo for Machete. Well, uh, and I I don't now I've only seen Aquaman one time and it was probably in 2018. But I wouldn't go to any lengths to say that her character, Queen Mara, I think her name is was anything to write home about as far as getting you know character development within the script like i don't even know what what, what is her character her character is so you just don't remember her character all you remember is her in the green busty thing with the red hair that's literally all i remember her from welcome like put on display right like yeah. showing off her looks and obviously the film played it up too right yeah, I, and I mean, look, here's the thing. Like, if everybody who played a supporting role deserved to be famous from any good movie, we, we'd have like a trillion, you know, famous actors out there. It just doesn't work that way. You either have to be the star or you have to be, you know, an actor who really, really did something with that role to stand out and steal the show, as they say. And I mean, again, I, I think I've seen Aquaman. I'm not sure, but... Whether or not I did, Amber Heard did not steal the show by any stretch right. of the imagination. Right. You know, I wonder it would be interesting to look at the stats of actors and actresses that have won like an award for a supporting role 
and then later and maybe you know put a time frame out of the next decade went to win their own oscar for the the main role in in a film or something like that you know that would be interesting i mean yeah interesting anecdotally because i don't think award shows like don't they don't say anything about how good or bad a film is in my opinion like i just i think they're a joke anyways but I, it would, I think I, I would be interested in, in seeing the number of actors and actresses that kind of rocketed into fame after like a, a genuinely excellent supporting role. Because, I mean, there's plenty of movies where the supporting characters do outshine the starring, right? The, the main bill, right? For sure. And that happens all the time, and especially on films that are potentially miscast. Like that happens all the time, too. Yeah, I think uh, I think it actually might be a small club, um, the club you're discussing. I'm um, just trying to think anecdotally here. It almost seems like a lot of uh, actors and actresses are one and done. You know, they have their moment in the sun. They win an Oscar, whether it's supporting or like best best actor, best actress. And then they kind of, you know, go away. And I mean, I guess it's an extreme example, but I look at Adrian Brody, who won Best Actor in 2002 for The Pianist. Like, I, I don't know if that dude's done a single movie since. I'm sure he has. But, like, you you <laughs> never hear about him. Yeah, he faded. He faded. I mean, he was obviously in 2006's uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong uh, as a starring role in that. But, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I wonder what the last movie he made was. Because I certainly haven't seen it. No, no. And, uh, yeah, you kind of wonder if there's a, a curse there or, or what happens to these these people's career. Just a quick interruption from the editing booth. Adrian Brody is actually in a 2022 film called See How They Run. Releases in theaters in North America September 16th. But, I mean, that's really all I had to say. I, I have watched the first two or three episodes, though, of Lord of the Rings, and I'm very interested on your complaints on this. Okay. So, again, uh, I was underwhelmed with it. And the first two episodes, I will say the third episode is the best so far by, I think, a pretty strong margin, in my opinion. But I watched the first two episodes of Ring of Power back-to-back and then immediately watched the first two episodes of House of the Dragon, the new Game of Thrones series. Now, I am not the largest, the biggest fan of neither Game of Thrones nor Lord of the Rings in general. So I felt like I'm already biasing towards not liking these properties. So take that with a grain of salt. But for me, I don't care about anybody in the show. I don't care about any of the characters. And the characters that that you are shown, that because it's a prequel, the characters that the names you're supposed to recognize... There's no stakes. Like, I don't I don't care what happens to Galadriel because I know nothing bad happened. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know she's not yeah. dead. So where are the stakes whenever I see her in, in some tense scene? And that, that's my problem in general with, like, prequels. And I don't know. They're, I, they're very difficult to do, in my opinion. But also, like, okay, I guess let's just go into light spoilers then, okay? Spoiler warning, listener. For the okay, the the, the very for the premise of the show is the very first episode we see the uh, we see a rise to power, that power being quelled, and now we're immediately into another rise to power, which will end in that power being quelled, 
to the then to the original trilogy of another rise of power. Like we're just doing the same thing over and over and over. I feel like I'm getting told the same story. So what's different? What am I supposed to take away from all, all of this? I just don't understand it. The problem is you are told to enjoy the means, not the end. Be- there's no payoff. There's there cannot be a payoff because right. You know what's going to happen to these characters. Like, I believe um, Sildor, Sildor is in the show. And, I mean, you know what happens to him. I mix him and his dad up. One of them, you know, has a shard of a sword and cuts off Sauron's fingers. The other one fails to throw the ring into, the, uh, into Mount Doom. But you know what's going to happen to them. You know what their fate is. And that, that is the problem with a prequel. I mean, you... In a runabout way, you almost wish from scratch they made a sequel to Fellowship of the Rings. It was like a thousand years in the future or whatever, where they could go a completely different direction with like instead of Middle Earth, Late Earth or whatever it is. See, that's where I think Cobra Kai, where we're going to jump into, has an advantage. Cobra Kai uses the, the, the original trilogy, potentially the fourth film at some point, as, as the basis and because that's just a launch point, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. But a prequel is trapped. And you're right about Galadriel. We know what's going to happen at Galadriel. Not only that, you know, we we know the relationships. You know, Elrond is in the show. We know where Elrond's going to end up. And, you know, you really have to be someone that just takes pleasure in the process. And the problem is, we know Amazon's made like a five-season investment in this. Are people like you and I going to stick around for five seasons? I, you're a completionist. I shouldn't Man, ask that. I I don't know though. It, honestly, this like it, it it's it's losing me very quickly. Like some things need to pick up. Yeah. Uh, and I will say though, I think all of the action scenes, like Game of Thrones, like all the action scenes are great, and they look pretty. They look brutal. Like they're excellently performed and shot uh, choreographed like it, it it's great like the when the action is good it's re- it's great right and i'm actually re-watching the original game of thrones i've like blitzed through the first six seasons already and i'm gaining a bit more of a respect for the show right though i can see like it, obviously hindsight's 2020 and you can always see some where things could have been shored up a little bit and how things have played out uh, and it is funny, like basically after season four, things kind of start to grind to a halt and nothing really happens. And then obviously everything happens in season eight, which <laughs> critically, critically panned. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what it is about. Like, I don't know what there is going to be for me to like in rings of power, like to really, truly like. And, and I know I bitch and we, like you brought up, like I bitch about how it's just, it's so just generically fantasy. And you counterpointed, well, I mean, it's Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings made generic fantasy, right? Like, yeah. it's the OG. If, if there's someone that's going to be generic fantasy, it's going to be a Lord of the Rings property. Uh, but, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't think that's an excuse for it. Yeah, I, I think, so, again, listener, I've only seen the first two of the three episodes. I think my biggest grievance with the show is that it clearly was made to look like Peter Jackson's um, Lord of the Rings. And I looked that up. I looked that up. It it was. They hired Weta, uh, the same special effects crew, and, and a bunch of the same people that did the visualizations, the visuals for 
um, for the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies. But what I saw in the first two episodes is like, you know, a bunch of like, let's move to an ice cave and walk through it. Let's let's walk across a beautiful <laughs> rocky vista and we're just walking. Um, you know, let's go to a town and be like, do did you see an orc, sir? No, I did not see an orc. OK, great. That's a nice 10 minute scene. Right. They're, they're just like you said, there wasn't much going on. I mean, I, I will take you a step up. I thought the first episode was horrible for someone like me that hasn't read the Similarian or anything in the background. Suddenly, you know, there's all these new places. There's like all this lore that's dumped on you in almost like the worst Star Wars style where they just like exposition <laughs> puke on you. And, yeah. you know, someone like me who who's a fan of Lord of the Rings trilogy and even a fan of The Hobbit, I'm much warmer on The Hobbit than a lot of other people because I didn't even read the books. So I didn't know that it, I didn't know how bad or how good I should say it was supposed to be. But. You know, I just hear like, you know, Arathor, son of Amazor, lost his sword to the Dark Lord of Morageth. And I mean, to me, I'm just like my brain is buzzing trying to keep all this stuff in order. And and I felt like that whole first episode was mostly an exposition dump. The second was a bit better. Yeah, I agree with that. It's I, I think it's it's getting better and I hope it continues to get better. But you're right. I, I don't I can't tell if. The audience is expected to know everything and everybody they see on screen, or if it's trying to be, you know, the first first purveyors into this franchise friendly because by giving you all the information up front and not really hiding anything, but it's just like I don't I don't understand I don't know what's going on. I just know we're going to get to them making the rings, right? Because like the but five seasons I did not know that and. That actually makes me sadder, and I should have should have assumed there was going to be something like that. But now there's really going to be no. We have to go through five, potentially five plus seasons of pay, of quote unquote payoff to finally see the rings forged and Sauron defeated. Are you kidding me? Are you are you fucking kidding me? That's actually a good point. You would have to assume the rings don't enter until season four or five. You have to, because what else are they going to do with them? I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. You know, the the whole thing reeks of a Jeff Bezos vanity project. It really does. I know he got personally involved. I know his son was like a big fan of Lord of the Rings and putting pressure on him. And you just see how it's advertised on Amazon. Like, I can barely go buy, you know, the shit that I want to buy from Amazon because I, I type in Amazon.ca and there's this giant moving banner you know, that fills up my entire screen for, you know, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, okay, I get it, Bezos. You want me to click my screen to take me to your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... May, may I give you money for your other parts of your business, <laughs> sir? Well, and it's funny because, like, they don't, I mean, it doesn't matter if Rings of Power bombs, right? Because it's just part of the Amazon conglomerate, and now it's just a part of the machine. Like, honestly, like, it doesn't matter how much money they put into this because it's going to pay off. People are going to watch just out of pure curiosity. But, you know, Leland, I think I think we're skirting around here your favorite word, which I've been looking for you to say. This series, <laughs> say it with me, is unnecessary. unnecessary. It is yeah. unnecessary when you already had a Hobbit trilogy, prequel trilogy, to do 
five seasons of other prequels thousands of years <laughs> in the past. It, it It is unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary. So do you think that Game of Thrones House of the Dragon is unnecessary? As in within the the zeitgeist of Game of Thrones itself. Because that's a very, I mean, obviously, barring season eight, everyone fucking loves Game of Thrones. Yeah. Absolutely adored it when it came out. That's a toughie for me because I think I organically just got bored of Game of Thrones in like season. It was either four or five when that was done. I never finished it. Um, and from what I've heard, I don't want to finish it. <laughs> I would say that the Game of Thrones prequels have more potential. I think it's a cool idea that, you know, it's the Targaryens at the height of their power. You know, dragons are there from the beginning, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, they are, yeah. And, I mean, that was, for me, the coolest part of Game of Thrones. I mean, I guess I would have to say, you know, at this point, I don't want to to talk out of my ass before actually seeing it. You seem to be relatively enjoying it. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, uh, House of the Dragon is far better than Rings of Power, for sure. And uh, I'm not enjoying it as much as the first few seasons of Game of Thrones, though. Um, but I mean, I, w- I recommend it. Yeah, I, w- I would watch it. Uh, Matt Smith is really good in it. He's like super brutal and like it's actually pretty menacing despite being Matt Smith. <laughs> uh, but, you know, actually, I will say I don't like the way the dragons look in it. There's one dragon in particular that looks way more snake like. Uh, they look pretty different than how they looked in like with Daenerys's dragons interesting and it might have been like also part of the way it was animated and how it moves it just i don't know it something struck me as like not really liking it uh yeah so i i just googled dragon's house of the dragon trying to find the snake dragon it's just basically showing me a bunch of dragon heads so yeah you i think you'll you'll like you could I, i could pick out a scene and i think it was actually in the third episode like, you'll know it when you see it, like, just the way it kind of flies and how it looks. I don't know. It just looks strange to me. I, I don't really like it. Okay. They just look really elongated, and they look more... The dragons look more waifish than Daenerys's dragons, right? Daenerys's dragons look, like, powerful and brutish, but... Well, Daenerys's dragons kind of look like the legendary dragons that you and I loved out of Magic the Gathering, <laughs> to, to right. be quite honest. Totally. They, totally, they, yeah. They, yeah. Look, they look that kind of cool. Yeah, they're they're quite stereotypical dragon, weren't they? Right. Yeah, which which is what I wanted. I mean, that was the payoff for me in the show was you know you got the eggs and they slowly grew up and then they were these badass like classic fantasy dragons. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think if they go back to some kind of snaky worm, that's a bit weird. I mean, maybe I'll watch it. Like, here's the problem. Okay, maybe this is something I should be asking you like a few months down the road. Like, I would be willing to get into House of the Dragon, but I would need to know that I don't need to finish Lord of the Rings. Oh, sorry, not Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones to enjoy it. No, no, dude. Because, like, I, I mean, I hadn't seen anything in Game of Thrones past, like, season five. So I'm, like, in new territory for me. Obviously, I know the plots and stuff. Like, I know what happened in the series because I would watch, like, YouTube retrospectives when it was out because I wasn't paying for for HBO at the time, but obviously I, we have Crave, I have Crave now, so I freely can watch it, but no, definitely not, because one, it's like 300 years before Game of Thrones, right? Like, it's well, well before. Like, I don't know who anybody is supposed to be or how far down the line they're supposed to be related to. Like, 
you see members of the houses and you'll recognize the house names of Lannister and Stark on that shit. But like nobody's connected to anybody. Like it's, it's completely, it's totally completely different. They're telling, they, like you said, they're telling the story of the Targaryens in this specific time period. Whereas I think you could argue that game, I mean the original game of Thrones, they were telling the story of the Stark family and kind of the Lannisters, I guess uh, the way they were portrayed in the show. I feel like in the show, those two houses were like the main focus, right? And obviously all the characters associated with. The problem with the later seasons of Game of Thrones is now all the characters you liked from the first few are dead. And now you're getting, you're you're literally stuck with the tertiary characters. And you're like, well, these characters suck compared to the the OG characters. It's like, I don't give a fuck about these people either. Like, kill these people, please. Like, <laughs> kill them all. You know, just kill just- them all. Burn them all. The mad, ki- the mad King had a good idea. Leave me a blank camera looking at a mountain, and Leland will be happy. <laughs> With dragons flying around. With it. dragons. <laughs> it's like one of those nature cameras. You see the dragons like nesting. You can watch it twenty four seven. Yes. <laughs> I'm narrated by David Attenborough, please. <laughs> well, everybody is dead. So the dragons fly. <laughs> And Attenborough reigns. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, so I was looking up tomato, uh, Rotten Tomato scores, which, again, I don't pay attention to usually. But Ring of Power currently has a audience score of 39%, compared to Game of Thrones Season 8's score of 30%. House of Dragon currently has a audience score of 85%. Now, there is a vast difference in the number of reviews for each of this. House of the Dragon has 5,099 audience reviews. And Rings of Power have 24,677. <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, is this, is, is this a bunch of people review bombing? I mean, that happens all the time on Rotten Tomatoes. Right? And I don't know. Also, the difference in the critic rating numbers is, seems pretty severe, too. 292 for Rings of Power... Critics have it at 84%. House of Dragon at 85% for critics, but 619 critic reviews. So Mm. welcome no critics are rating Rings of Power versus the audience. Like, where are the critics? Ah, that's interesting. I mean, I have a conspiracy theory that I think would be BS. But, well, I mean, Amazon has said that they will remove any review that they find like slightly demeaning or trolling or whatever. And like, I get what they're saying. Like, you know, you don't want like a racist review up or something like that, but Amazon has essentially given themselves ultimate power to remove ratings when it comes to this show. And that right away concerned me. Like what, what counts for trolling, right? Like, you know, if, if you and I, had the exact same problem with with Lord of the Rings. And we post, you know, um, poor character development, too slow, unnecessary prequel, waste of time. And you and I back to back almost put a very similar review. Are they going to identify that as trolling and like delete both of our reviews if that were to hypothetically happen? Right? I mean, I, I guess my, my point is, is that as soon as you get into review banning review deleting you really open up a can of worms there because the temptation is to really make your show look much better than it is and make the definition of trolling or derogatory 
Right. Just um, amount to negative criticism in general. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, Amazon Amazon has a long track record of fudging reviews on their product. They literally have, you know, there are people paid to write good reviews for whatever product they're put in front of, right? Like, you can't trust any of that shit. No, so, you can't. I don't know, man. I don't know. But I don't know. It's so, so funny how... All the, you know, there's all the fucking rhetoric about, oh, they're race swapping dwarves and all, whatever the hell people are bitching about. And even like fucking Elon Musk complaining about all the male characters or the, I, they're all the I shitty. did see that, yeah. Oh my uh, God, that's so stupid. One, that's not actually true. I would say that <laughs> it's just not, it's not true. There are, there are good male characters in this, in Rings of Power, like, in season three, we meet a dude whose name is literally Friend of the Elves. That's what it translates to. He's a cool dude. I like, I don't uh, The guy, anyways, it just strikes me as being funny because the entirety of Lord of the Rings is racist. Elves hate dwarves, and both elves and dwarves hate humans. Like, everybody hates each other. All of the races literally hate each other. And something that happened. Now, three generations ago in Rings of Power, of having defeated Morgoth or whatever the fuck his name is, the elves still, be, I suppose, as a result of them being as long-lived as they are, probably factors into it, but they still look down on the ancestors of the men that took up arms for the dude that the elves put down, right? So that's a huge part of it. So you have this huge fantasy property... Like, depicted, it's on screen. It is racism, right? It's fantasy racism between these races. But then you look at a property like Dungeons and Dragons that have, uh, over the, the the past few short years, are going to great lengths and strides to basically try and abolish those stere- those negative stereotypes of the different races. Like, I mean, orcs, uh, right? And, and, you know, elves and ha- elves hating orcs and that stuff. Like, that is tr- they're trying to like strip that out right and i don't know whether it's good or bad i mean if you have your homebrew world you can make races hate each other all you want i suppose but it just it's just strikes me as being funny this huge bill literally billion dollar property doesn't give a fuck about that and then you have this other like billion dollar property that does give a fuck about it and they're both in the same realm of yeah. and same genre but they're two conflicting ideas. I don't know. It just like it all just reeks of fucking hypocrisy to me, and I don't care about it. <laughs> I just don't care about it. Even though we've just discussed it for twenty minutes, you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is the way of the T Hut podcast. Okay. That that is the way of the podcast <laughs> listener, as you well know, we're past five years. T Hut podcast Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness the banter wasn't timed because we just went off for 40 minutes. I know, I know. I'm going to ask you, like, do you have your timer ready for the first mini segment? Okay, I have it ready. I have it ready. Shall we move into the first mini segment? Uh, we should. And I'm introducing this one. So. Okay, I'll, I will give you the go. Okay. Okay. And go. All right. Welcome to our first mini segment. This segment you know what? Because it's mini, I didn't spend time making up anything witty for it. Cobra Kai, Season 5, First Impressions. I had Leland and uh, summoned Ghost Marty from Hell on Friday to watch the first five of ten episodes for Season 5 of Cobra Kai. I have completed it, but this uh, 
we'll do our best to be spoiler free. We might have to switch to spoilers at some point. But uh, Leland, first impressions. <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this show is so stupid, but so good. <laughs> well, I okay. So I I no. This is not a spoiler, listener. There there is a point where a particularly hot pepper is a very important plot point for an episode or two. <laughs> yes. Whether it's being used in formal combat or used to gain economic advantage that is required to progress <laughs> the show. They're like peppers that are really important. And the thing is, the peppers make an explosion sound or a sizzle. They make a sizzle. They yes, they sizzling. do. They like... It doesn't make sense. Like, so many of the things that happened in the first five episodes, and that's all I've seen, they just don't make sense. And honestly, they are unnecessary. Like, there's some, there, there are these, they don't drive anything. They don't, they don't particularly add to, well, I suppose they're adding to character development in a lot of, a lot of areas. I don't know. It's just, like, if you took a single scene out, completely out of context, you would look at it and you would be like, what in the fucking hell is this why would anybody watch five seasons of this but you just put it once it's in the hole and it's all together and you see it all right and you're seeing the huge the whole the whole mural is being unveiled and you're like oh okay somehow this makes sense to be a chain of events even though it doesn't make sense even though it doesn't make sense I mean, this season starts in one of the weirdest places because Miguel has gone to Mexico to search out for, you know, for his dad. And Robbie and Johnny are chasing after Miguel to find him. And then there's, you know, the whole other shit with Terry Silver and Chosen and Daniel trying to stop him. You know, being realistic here beyond just joking, I think one of my big problems I have is... The series has percolated in my mind the past few days is that Miguel's story to meet his dad has no payoff and it results in functionally no character development. Now, you may not know that until you finish the season, but like his dad is not mentioned or anything about that trip or has zero influence uh, for the rest of the season, but beyond perhaps episode three or four, whenever he's done with his dad. And the problem is his dad has terrible character development. His dad is at one moment this handsome, really nice guy who for literally three minutes of the show suddenly appears like he might be mean or capable of violence. But then he flips back and then there's an awkward scene where him and Miguel part ways. And it's like done. It's like that never happened. And Miguel has been looking for his dad for a long time. But, but there's zero payoff to that entire plot streak. And it's just, it's, it's mystifying to me because I like the writers of the show. But like, what were they doing? Why did they want this in the show? Yeah, no, I, compl- I completely agree. Because you're right, from up to what I've seen, you know, everyone's kind of like back together on their way to plan to take down silver. Right. And yeah, we're, we're no longer with Miguel and, and see Miguel interact with his father. So yeah, what was the point? What, the, what was the point? I mean, there's, you get a bit of a uh, development between 
Johnny and, and Robbie because of this trip, uh, which is important for those their those two characters, right? right? It feels like where oh man, it's so hard not to talk about specifics, but where they left at the end of the the five season the five episodes I saw, it's like everyone's fine together and actually i'm now that i'm thinking of it we're seeing now and i think marty had actually mentioned it while we were watching like daniel and johnny are now switching places right yes everything's great for johnny and now everything's falling apart for daniel which is exact which is the exact opposite was how we very started this entire series and now it's like getting involved with basically getting heavily involved with karate again has torn apart daniel's life over these four these five seasons now we're seeing and again i don't know what what gets what does or doesn't get resolved as far as uh daniel's life at the end of season five i haven't gotten there yet but we're seeing this role reversal right and i think we've slowly been seeing it i mean we we've seen i think even over the the four seasons before it we've seen daniel get more and more aggressive throughout those throughout the whole series and we we we, yes yes Sorry to cut you off. No, no. saying yes. Well, no, I, I mean, I think the whole point that the writers try to do with Cobra Kai is they never believed that that Johnny Lawrence was a bad person. You know, he's a kid. He's a teenager. He got his girlfriend stolen by this, like, random upstart who enters a school. And, you know, would would a lot of competitive, you know, high self-esteem people take that? in high school like i wouldn't if if i had like a girlfriend i really liked in high school and a brand new guy came and like took her um to be honest i could actually see myself become aggressive like johnny did and sure okay you know johnny did some dirty moves in the karate tournament stuff like that but you also see the influence of crease and yeah we have to accept that you know older mentors (laughs) can shape teenagers like that's not an unrealistic plot point Right. So, you know, I think Johnny Johnny continues to have the best character development through the show. He's great through the final five episodes. You know, I, I think one of the strengths of season five is is people basically growing up because it's interesting. Um, and this should not be this, this is not spoilers if you've, you know, seen the trailers um, and the press releases, but uh, all of all of Daniel's rivals from movie one, two, three are in this season. You know, you got Mike Barnes from number three. You've got Chosen from number two. And of course, you've got, you know, Johnny Lawrence from from the first film. And all of them by the end are are in their own ways mature, grown up people that help Daniel to a degree. And I think that's actually one of the better parts of the show. And, and you do see, like you said, how Daniel is... He's, he's got his own flaws. That's how I'll put it. He's got his own flaws. Sorry, I'll let you back in here, but I did want to probe you on this other issue I have with it. Is like the soap opera stuff, which was kind of endearing for the first few seasons, is really starting to get on my nerves a bit. Like, oh, I'm dating this person. Oh, we broke up, so I'll date this person from the other dojo. Oh, I'm friends with this fighter. Oh, now we're not friends. And it's these relationships constantly flip-flopping up and down. And I just start to roll my eyes. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a product of, you know, the majority of the main cast being like high school kids. 
And right. I, I, I don't know. Do you think it would feel less realistic if they were written to be more adult in their relationships, uh, which would feel like the, where they feel like they're being written ahead of their years than what we're seeing. Because like, like you said, I mean, again, we, we, the, the whole show has been about much like the first movie about the influence of these students elders. Right. I mean, we saw uh, in very season, season one, Johnny, influencing reviving Cobra Kai influencing the first batch of kids, but also being influenced by the kids. Right. And we see him change because of that. Right. And same, same with the kids in Miyagi Do as the seasons progress too. Right. With Daniel, like it's all about conflicting ideologies and how you basically how you grok and maneuver and navigate these differing ideologies because it's like everywhere and whatever you do and whomever you associate with, there are going to be differing ideologies. And I think the the point of the show is to show you that both sides of any given, uh, given argument or, or opinion can have valid thoughts within. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Um, and, I guess my point would be is I think that that's a message the show has already given in earlier seasons. My problem in this season, and it really becomes more of an issue in the final five episodes that you haven't seen yet, is is the dojo swapping crossing, which has happened before. You know, oh, I see that this dojo is bad, so I'll cross the floor. Oh, this dojo, you know, Miyagi-Do is weak, so I'll go to Cobra Kai now. And there's a lot of like back and forth between various fighters. Something that also really brought me out of the show, especially again in later episodes where a lot more of the scenes are set within the Cobra Kai dojo, is there are so many extras who just appear in like certain scenes, even within one episode, as like a member of of the Cobra Kai dojo, and then you never see him again. And... It's like, like what? Like, do they have like tons of rotating fighters come in? It just really breaks the immersion in a way. There's a part where Tori was missing from a fight, but there was a random extra blonde white girl there who looked so much like Tori. I'm like, no, there she is. No, there she is. Oh, no, it's just an extra who's going to be gone in two minutes. Right. They need to fill a body for the scene. They need to fill a body. Oh, they've been doing that all series. Right, but I don't feel they do that with Miyagi-Do that much. I feel like with Miyagi-Do, they've kind of got like a set 12 kids and just stick with them. So I don't know why Cobra Kai needs to have all these extras. I mean, Cobra Kai has a pretty good roster by this time. I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't know how much time we have left, but I mean, some of the good news that I felt was that uh, a lot of the criticism of the entertainment value of the first five episodes um i had watched spoiler free reviews i actually felt like the first five episodes were better than i expected as far as entertainment goes oh okay like the reviews were more negative than yeah they're basically like the first five episodes suck the second five are great in fact i almost found it like the opposite i kind of there were good parts of the final five episodes but i I felt like for them, I was like, okay, this is average. And for the first five, I'm like, okay, this is better than expected. Yeah. I mean, I mean, do you think because the three of us watched it together, that has something to do with that? 
<laughs> for me, potentially, because I'm a lot more positive than you and Marty are. I mean, you and Marty were like slamming every scene of this movie or show and like mocking it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we were. Uh, I, although, like, again, in jest and like jovially, like we were having a good time yes. watching it, right? Yes, we were. Like, we weren't trying to pick it apart because we were having a shit time. Uh, and I don't know. I'm trying to think if there is like something that the or a direction that the show could go that would make me to stop stop watching it, like just not finish the series. I don't think there is. No, the problem is Leland. There's probably only one or two seasons left, right? And you're such a completionist. You've already invested yourself in four and a half. Are you really gonna stop? I, <laughs> why? Yeah, no, you're you're totally right. Like the, I don't know. I just think. Uh, I think there could be some tightening up, I think, is is my takeaway. Like, things can be tightened a little bit, you know? Yeah, now, is this a spoiler or not? I'm debating, is this a spoiler or not? Potential, potential spoiler warning here, listener, because I'm literally just not sure. So, like, I know we're almost done um, in a few minutes, so. You got 50, 50 seconds. 50 seconds. Okay. So one of the themes of the season is like chosen, you know, Daniel's bad guy. He's a good guy now. He's Daniel's bro. Johnny Lawrence, Daniel's bro. Mike Barnes is Daniel's bro as well. Bad guy from from movie number three. But Mike Barnes disappears for like episodes, I think, seven, eight, nine. He's back in 10 and he really should have been there. And I'd seen in a review there was perhaps a scheduling issue or something. He is notably absent. That's my point. Interesting. Hmm. So again, immersion breaking. Immersion breaking. There is every reason for him to be there in those later episodes, but he's not until episode 10. And it really feels like, because he's like on a soap opera in real life, the actor is, that maybe it was a scheduling issue. He's on Bold and the Beautiful. Plug. Plug for Sean Ganan. Time's up. All right. First one in the bag. All right. We're quickly moving right into the next one. Right. Another thing that we did while we were over with you watching Cobra Guy was we got a chance to try your home. What do you call this? Your your homebrew, homebrew. Smash Brothers version that you got. And I mean, you think you talked about a couple episodes ago and you got to play the stupid Luigi Mansion piano. Um, I think I tried uh, Star Wolf. Um, Wolf. Yeah, we played a really interesting stage with the the basketballs, so you couldn't... Smashkeball. Smashkeball, so there's no out of bounds, but if you hit them into the hoop, the hoops were a barrel that would shoot them down out of bounds. So that was a cool stage. And I don't know, like, I always like Smash Bros, and obviously OG, like, Nintendo 64 Smash Bros is, has a special, a special place in my heart, despite it being Nintendo. Yeah, and, and okay, so my point with this segment is is I had a lot of fun with this game, especially playing it with you guys. I mean, I, I will unequivocally say, in my opinion, it is much better than the original N64 Smash Brothers because it has everything that has and so much more. Like the stages, it has something like 70 stages um, because I found out like there's a random thing that'll run through 17 random stages that you can't even manually access. Now, some of the stages, oh. like the stages are of like varying quality. I thought Smash Ball was amazing. It was very creative. 
um, and a lot of fun to play. Um, as were the characters, like I didn't even know Super Sonic was in the game until I pressed up on the D-pad uh, like I did on Luigi to uh, get um, Mad Piano, who I love. I love that piano. <laughs> you know what? Adrian Brody, step aside. I am the pianist. Uh, <laughs> give him this man the Oscar. <laughs> give give this man all the Oscars. Um, Super Sonic was great. He was overpowered. I didn't say fast. this to Marty at the time. He was so fucking overpowered. Yeah. But but yeah, there's so many good characters. Uh, somehow, I, I don't know how, but they got the original voiceover guy from 1998. I really don't know how they did that, but he voices all the new characters and all the new segments. Maybe it's like a robo voice you can buy off the internet. I don't know. But I thought it was really cool. And I mean, it runs perfectly. It's an N64 cartridge. It runs perfectly. So kind of where I wanted to go with this, you know, Leland, is, is number one to ask you, do you see value in in homebrew kind of amateur retro gaming? Two, Honestly, would you buy a retro game for PS3? Would you would you buy a God of War homebrew or something like that? Uh, okay. Uh, I think, well, obviously there is for sure added value to this. Per- in this particular instance, there is an enormous amount of added value. Now, if I'm trying to think of a game that I would like to see have that added value pushed into and nothing immediately comes to mind, but I think, yes, I mean, I think I would, if, if knowing the quality that can be produced, like from this experience, I would think that, uh, that definitely interests me and I'm not sure if, uh, what the price point would need to be for me to, dive into it but uh, i mean i'm not entirely a retro gamer definitely not like you are so i would have to think long and hard about what i would actually spend my money on but i would definitely play another one (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting there there would be more that i would try to get um some people have made like uh several actually now um new james bond like uh james bond in 64 games yeah, Goldeneye, but like different James Bond movies. Like I think one is, um, what's it, The Spy Who Loved Me. That's for sure one. Looks good. I've watched. I've watched a playthrough. Looks really good. So I I would consider buying one of those. You're right about the price point though. Like I I will admit to listener, it was expensive. Um, the price point for this one came with shipping to about I think like a hundred and five dollars. It was like eighty bucks, eighty eighty five plus like twenty bucks shipping. Um, so you're paying for a full price game, yeah. Even though it's homebrew, and I guess I would pitch that to you, Leland. Would you pay full AAA price for a homebrew game? Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I mean, in your example, I'm thinking like the original God of War. What could they, I'm trying to add? What they could actually put into that? to make me pay like full MSRP for a version of it. And I don't know what they could actually put into it. I really don't. Um, and I think honestly though, it's so difficult to generalize it. It's really like a game by game basis. Cause because a game like smash brothers, 
is the perfect game to add content into, right? Like it's like so right. open ended. It's just so open ended to be able to add. I mean, just make retro characters of or retro versions of characters that have been in the later games, right? Like that's something sure. that's super easy to try to adapt to, right? And just give give the retro feel the uh, a revamped retro <laughs> kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's that full MSRP though. Like that's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, obviously shipping is shipping, but that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Well, the the other tough pill to swallow is a- apparently to keep it legal. The Smash Brothers that I have is actually supposed to be distributed for free. So I purchased it off oh. Etsy. The, the The guy was great. He packaged it well. I mean, the label looks great. But someone is poaching money potentially illegally off, off this game as well. And I knew that, but it was the best way for me to get a hold of it. Um, it was an experiment for me. But I, I do feel bad. Like, I paid this full MR, MRSP. But the money went to the guy in Etsy. It didn't actually go to the developers who created the game. And, and that bothers me. Yeah, no, uh, I didn't even think of that. Uh, so so this in this instance, it was like an existing Smash Brothers cartridge that was modded, right? Right. So what happened is these guys used some sort of technology to reverse engineer the code in the N64 cartridge, the original. And by reverse engineering the code, they were able to program in new levels, new characters, etc. And most people play it by having an emulator, an N64 emulator, and they can download it for free off these guys' website. I wanted the quote-unquote authentic experience. And so we now live in 2022. Somehow, somewhere, someone is making new N64 cartridges. And you can actually then recompile the code onto a cartridge, and the cartridge is functionally the the same as an original cartridge, which is what I purchased. So the, I guess that's the value the Etsy guy brought is he would have he would have bought the cartridge, compi- you know, put on the, the 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 game, and then put on a label. Right. Like that's that's why it's as pricey as it is. That that's why it is pricey. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. You're paying for literally a handmade product. Yeah, yeah, you are. You are. Hand download one by one onto the cartridge and and prepared. And, you know, I wonder, probably not, but I I do wonder if, like, in 20 years' time, a cartridge like that is going to be very valuable. Um, I can't think that there's so many in existence if they're bought one by one. So what about, what about the, uh, that 007 game, like, that the spy who loved me or whatever, like that didn't exist before. So what do they do with that? Uh, well, I mean, it depends what your question is. What do they do with that? I can tell you the, the original N64 print run of that game. The spy who loved me is sold out. I tried to buy it. Oh, I tried sorry. to buy it like a year ago. It is a pre-existing game. Oh, I thought maybe they were just adapting, just making new games based off of like taking like golden eye code, but then just making, one of one of their movies into a game that had never existed before. Oh, sorry, you're you're actually correct. You're actually correct. I think you misunderstand me. So when like from from Russia with Love was made like years ago, um, as well as the Spy Who Loved Me. Those are actually the two. I got the two names: Spy Who Loved Me okay. from Russia with Love, and those years ago were originally made homebrew with a print run of N64 cartridges, 
like what I've got. Um, oh. But they've been sold out for years. And okay. I've tried to buy them. So so that's where I'm going about the rarity of them. Is, right, is yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep, it's, they're still listed on Etsy as sold out. And I keep bugging every once in a while the supplier. I'm like, can you get this for me? Can you get this for me? Yeah, well, what's stopping them from... I mean, Etsy is like a is like a, a a per order platform, right? So, what's stopping them from taking more orders and just doing the same thing that this other person did? Very good question. I don't know. Maybe they got in trouble. Maybe they did. You know, I I mean, James Bond is a pretty big fucking license. Yeah. To homebrew for, you could get in trouble for that pretty easily. Yeah. But I appreciate the effort. The Another footnote I want to make, not in 64 related, I do want to throw a shout out to Catman Mods, who we had on the show like a year, year and a half ago. Um, I've got a PSP from him that he like cracked and homebrewed on a ton of like different games from all different systems, like customized like a bunch of TurboGrafx-16 shit. And I think that's a cool place for homebrew too. I actually found that thing. I lost it. I found it in my liquor cabinet. Who knew? <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> I'll take this bottle and you can sit here for a year. Ah, you know what, Leland? I would do it. If if I, honestly, if I were to find a good homebrew game for like PS4 or something like that, that I thought you would enjoy, I would invest in that for like your birthday or Christmas present. And I hope you play it. I Yeah, I would definitely play it for sure. Yeah. Um, especially if it was something like I was already familiar with. Because I think that's the, the, the f- most fun part of your version of smash is like just something you're we're like wholly familiar with. And now we're, you actually get to see and you can easily recognize all of the additions. Whereas like, if you were to just like, like maybe one of your, your net, your nephew or niece to be like, showed them this new, this homebrewed version, like what, what do they know? They know no difference. So they're, they get to play and experience this pretty dope homebrew version of a retro game that you grew up with as well but they kind of get a better experience from it maybe yeah maybe i think the thing is though we appreciate more the experience of the homebrew because you know we played a lot of the original smash where there was only like eight characters yeah and eight maps and i mean all of that is there in the smash remix homebrew it's just so much more has been added on but for me, I mean, Marty likes to say, you know, do you hate money? And uh, no, in this case, I, I did not hate money. I did not. I did not. <laughs> I mean, I can see us playing more of it for sure. Oh, definitely. That was such a rarity to actually get together in person. Like, even still, it's just, uh-huh. yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, I I live five minutes away from you. Well, I that's, yeah, I know. We have available. no excuse. We honestly need to play some games i want to play star wars rebellion we should yes. just play some magic we should just do something we should just play magic you mention it the decks will go back together baby do it let's go i already ha- i always have my like dozen together you know that so <laughs> okay I'll, I'll raid my storage closet maybe uh next few days they're downstairs in a tupperware container in my storage locker <laughs> so viva, viva la apartments we just need uh, we just need Emma sitting on the couch knitting while we play. <laughs> yes, that was so much fun that night though. <laughs> that that last night. magic night, yeah, because I was facing you with your own cards for most of it, <laughs> or for all of it. You couldn't lose. 
I, really. oh, I know. You, you, you just got to rig it so you can never lose. You just will always win. <laughs> I mean, we got we got 50 seconds to spare here, buddy. Wow. We're, we're killing it. Um, I guess let's like final thoughts. Homebrew. Moby's happy. We'll try again. And Leland, hopefully you'll try it if I buy it for you. <laughs> yes, if you buy it, I'll try it. <laughs> that's you that's buy it, I'll try. I live by. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. We'll get. I'll get that for you on a T-shirt. Same to go with your sun's out, guns out. <laughs> I can almost fit into that shirt now. <laughs> that's awesome, buddy. Well, I guess we're close to the. Okay, this one may be the hardest, this mini segment, listener, may be the hardest to keep on time. It's called Fuck It, We'll Talk Star Wars. <laughs> because, okay, it's supposed to be made around the Mandalorian Season 3 trailer. And Leland, for the love of God, did you view the the trailer at least? Yeah, I watched it uh, today at work. Okay, well, thank you for mentioning that it's at work. It's good to know that you're using your time time appropriately um what what it, what did you think of the trailer i mean i i mean i think it's it was a good trailer it uh it showed you the characters that you probably want to see and confirming that you know they're, they're going to return in what seems to be a much larger role like you know bo katan being the the first one that jumps to mind and obviously we got stupid freaking groku or whatever the hell his name is yeah, I think it was a great trailer, and like Mandalorian is the best Star Wars property, hands down. Yes, there, there's li- there's literally no contest right now. I agree. I agree. I mean, there's there's I don't want to say there's a lot to dig in on the trailer because I think there's actually only a few things that I particularly want to talk about. I did like seeing Bo Katan get the the spotlight on her. Um, you know, it's clear that she's very regal and wants to take back uh uh, mandalore i like how she basically says that by being part of this cult mando has actually betrayed the mandalorians you know like where were you when you were part of this cult interesting thing grief karga played by carl weathers he was in a few shots his position seems to have changed a lot he's wearing like flowing red robes it seems like he may become some sort of noble or wealthy or leader. I found that interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think he So, okay, so I don't I'm not really familiar with the lore of what's going on right now at all. Like so Mandalore is like fucked, right? Cuz they got fucked by the Jedi. Like at this point it's Yeah, Ma- Mandalore's fucked. Uh Bo-Katan is like the rightful ruler yeah. and she's trying to retake Mandalore. Right. Her sister got killed in Clone Wars. Yes. But she does need she does need the dark saber somehow, and I don't know what they're gonna do with that. Well, I mean she's gotta take it from Mando, so I'd like one of them's gonna die. You assume, yeah. Right, they or have something. To. That's their way. S- or you think there's gonna be like a loophole with him like because he took his helmet off and now he's like no longer a Mandalorian or whatever. I think there's going to be a loophole. I couldn't tell you what it is, but I don't think one of the two will die. Um, yeah. The only way I could 
I mean, I don't think you can kill Bo-Katan, even though she's a minor character because she's so important. Like, if you just kill her and make Mando, like, the king of Mandalore that just doesn't feel right. Well, he doesn't want to be either. No, he doesn't want to be. I mean, I think if you kill Mando, you kill him at the very end of the show. You somehow, like, stretch this plot point so long that, like, he dies for Grogu and dies for Mandalore in, like, the very last episode. Like, if you want to go that route, that's yeah. how I would write it. Well, I mean, what would what what could feasibly keep Bo from, like, immediately challenging him for it? Like she, like I don't think there is anything. At the end of season two, it was like she was like ready to challenge him right there in that freaking control room when Luke showed up, right? Like, yeah, yeah. No, I mean you bring up a good point. I I actually don't know where they're going to go with this season. I have no clue, and I think the trailer was a trailer in the best way in that it didn't reveal anything. It it looked cool. You yeah. saw characters you like. You saw some cool scenes, but it didn't actually reveal what they're doing. I do really like the, uh, the again, they were back to differing ideologies. I, I like the, like, I mean, Mando's cult is what Bo called it. You know, the, the, the sect that just never show their face. And then you have, like, Bo and her buddies, like, they don't care. They got their, hel- their helmet. It gets hot on the helmet. Yeah. They're going to take the fucking thing off. Like, I, I like that. Um, and I... I'm interested in that, right? And I'm, I'm kind of interested in how that played in to the fall of Mandalore. Yeah, I, I'm interested in that too. Like, where did this splinter group come up with such extreme ideologies? Like, do they have like a certain book or tome or something that tells them like, this is the way to be a true Mandalorian? Because, I mean, Bo-Katan is the rightful heir, and like you said, you're right. She totally doesn't care with her, you know, about having her helmet off. She has it off all the time. So she's like the mainstream Mandalorian. So so where did the splinter group come from? Um, I think that's that's something interesting. Something else interesting. Um, I found it like they call Mando dad or like the dad of Grogu explicitly a number of times in the trailer. Now, people have always said, oh, you know, he's like the daddy. It's a dad and son relationship. But now characters are like explicitly calling him the father of Grogu. Yeah, yeah. Which which I found interesting. Well, is that, does that have to do with, you know, kind of the, the voiceover we have of the, now them being this sect of two now kind of thing? And like, it's somehow like going to be codified as far as Mandalorians are concerned. Like, you know. Yeah, I, I do think it's going to be codified somehow um again they kind of hide how that will be widespread codified like the the trailer really doesn't explain much which i like i can tell you something that non-listener joe my friend really didn't like he actually didn't like the space combat sequences he said that mando has no experience in the show so far showing at space combat so like what he get he gets a nubian fighter and somehow he can take on like five enemy fighters <laughs> he, he really didn't like that okay and i'm wonder, i'm wondering like did you even notice or care i didn't know <laughs> i just assume that if, if anybody that can drive a spaceship can and we've seen him be like 
Ariel with it, right? With this new ship. We, we saw him as he, as you know, he, he basically almost got arrested for pulling too close to the passenger freighter with it. And he was zipping around with it. So like that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. And then well, how come he can't just do that and then also push a trigger button and shoot the blazer beams in front of him as he's doing it? So I don't, I don't know. I didn't notice it at all. No, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think Joe was being a little bit harsh with it. But he, he takes his Star Wars very seriously. So does he agree that Mandalorian is the best of Star Wars right now? He does. He does. Yes. Yes. His, for, in retrospect, or in the broad picture of things, I should say, his complaints about the Mandalorian are small. You know, he complained much more about Boba Fett, and to a degree, Obi-Wan. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, I think there's a very clear demarcation of, like, like best, okay, not good shows for Star Wars yeah. so far. And it's, like, very clear, like, for everybody. Mandalorian's at the top. Obi-Wan was okay. Had some flaws. And, like, Boba Fett was, like, just a mess. Yeah, Boba Fett way, way at the bottom. I mean, Obi, I think Obi, Obi-Wan uh, fell into the, the same, the prequel trap that we've harped on this entire episode. Like, yes. It's like, how do we care? How are we supposed to care? Obviously, Obi's going to get out of whatever conflict he's in with Darth Vader. It's just like... Oh, how quickly or what direction is he going to run away until he gets his fucking balls back and learns how to be a Jedi again? You know what I mean? Like, totally. And I mean, like in another movie or show, Hayden Christensen, I think he did an amazing acting job at the end of that show when his chest computer was busted in and his helmet was split open and and stuff like that. But you knew he'd survive. Yeah. You knew he wasn't going to die because, you know, he comes back later with a good suit. And it's like fully healthy as he gets. So the problem with these prequels is they lower the stakes. It is not possible for them to not lower the stakes. There is no, no thought of where things could go bad. Like I'm struggling for words because I don't want to use the word agency. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I get, I get what you're trying to express. Now, episodes one through three was telling the story of how Vader became Vader, right? Did we have the same, did you, did you feel the same sense of, well, we, we know where we're going to end up, so I don't give a shit about the, what's being told? I think what is underrated about the Star Wars prequels is that prequels were not as big of a thing back in 1999 when Phantom Menace first came out. At that time, there was novelty to finding how we ended up here, especially with a big franchise like Star Wars. And I'll give it this to the prequels. People, like the prequels are looked at a lot more favorably nowadays. They had their own story. They were unique. They did not copy things. And that's what people really appreciate about them. So yeah, they're prequels. And yeah, Vader had to become Vader. Yeah, the acting sucked in parts, but they were their own story and, and an interesting story at that. Um, I don't people, you know, joke about trade federations and stuff like that. I actually thought it ended up, you know, in an interesting place because of how it escalated. But yeah, I, I sorry, Liam, novelty. No, yeah, I, I mean, I think 
when it comes to Star Wars, we just know too much. And I and and like you said, this trailer was a good trailer because it didn't show us anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It showed us shit, but it didn't show us shit. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And yeah. I mean, the means to the end can be interesting. So Andor comes out in two weeks, the Star Wars show Andor. And I am not interested in Andor's story. Couldn't give a rat's ass. What I'm interested based off the trailers is that they're going to show how the rebellion forms. That is why I will be watching that show. Even though I know where the rebellion, you know, it ends up getting formed. We've never been told what kind of backroom wrangling Mon Mothma and, and, you know, Senator, uh, Organa do and stuff like that to set up the rebellion. And we're going to see that in Andor. And that's the reason I'm going to watch that show. And then we have Mando, which is just something completely its own thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. But what's nice about Mando is I think it's in the future. It's like post empire. So they can do whatever they want. They, they can have Chinese myth dragons fly in from space. If they want. Yeah. Like that's the benefit of having a sequel. And I mean, I, we're, we're not going to have time to get into it, but that's where like the Star Wars sequels fucked up. They could have done anything. Yeah. They had the whole galaxy of potential open to them and, and they just made a mess and played it safe and all this bullshit. Yeah. Just like I think and I think I've mentioned before on the show, like it was literally it wasn't literally until a young Luke showed up in Mandalorian that. I realized where it was in the timeline because the events that are unfolding, they're just so ambiguous when they're unfolding in the grand scheme of things. And it's, it plays to the show's strength so, so well. I mean, it's part of, yeah, it's part of why that show is a standout, I think, because it's, it's not, it's not anchored by the shit we already know but it is it's being enhanced by the stuff we already know because i mean like yeah in freaking boba fett we had another young luke skywalker and we had mando season 2.5 and halfway through <laughs> book of boba fett right yeah and it's funny though like we couldn't be can you imagine having to see all of that in season 3 of mandalorian like would that feel tedious for to have at the the beginning of a season 3 or Mando is now better because of Boba's Book of Boba's sacrifice. Uh, no, I. You know what? I don't think it would have been awkward if you were to take the two episodes of Mandalorian that were randomly <laughs> in Boba Fett and make them actually two episodes added on to Mando season three. I I think that would have been great. I think it totally would have worked out. That the the awkwardness for me is the fact that you have this show for this character and you. Like, it's no exaggeration, listener, if you haven't seen it. Like, the show just suddenly stops being about Boba Fett. And they either show him for, I think, like, ten seconds, one of the two episodes they focus on Mando, and, like, zero, the other. It's like, what even is this show? I mean, I could go on a rant from Boba Fett because I think they just completely botched that show. They're like, oh, it'll be... I'm sorry, you cannot rant because your time is up. We're going to move right into the next segment and... We're just going to continue talking about Star Wars, but we're going to focus on Andor. Now, I did watch this trailer as well. And yes. yeah, it, I was actually surprised at how quickly it's coming out. Um, I have no interest in this show. 
So interest, nothing, no interest. No, no. I think, I think because it's like, oh, it's, you know, the quote unquote focus is going to be on this character that is a stupid character. I don't give a fuck about because Rogue One is the worst Star Wars film by far. By far. Joe would fight you. Rogue One sucks. Rogue One is stupid. Rogue One is the epitome of how you misuse the Force. And that is why I dislike that movie so much. Solely because of the way the Force is depicted in this film. And it started the trend of the Force being misused and mishandled. And that's why I hate Rogue One. You know what? I, I will give you that. That is actually a good point. I never put the dots together that the, the, the stupid Mary Sue, whatever you want to do with it, nature of the Force started with Rogue One. But you're totally right, given given that it came out in 2016. And, and I remember it was just awkward. You know, you've got like the blind Donnie Wan or Yuen or whatever his name is. And he just can like walk into a battlefield and just not be shot because of faith like <laughs> in the force yeah, like yeah. Just, i'm sorry that doesn't make any sense at all it's not no. even using the force it's no, not it's using not. anything exactly it's and he and he wasn't even dodging laser beams like if he no. was doing like some daredevil shit and dodging i it would have changed it for me for, i would have been like okay this is dope we know he we know Donnie can do he, he's a martial artist. We know he can be acrobatic. If you let him just fucking springboard around this battlefield dodging laser beams, I look at this entire movie in a whole new light. I swear to God. I swear to God. That's a, a simple change for me. That's how fucking petty I am. I just need one little tiny change and no, but, I'm sold on it. But but I agree with you because the force has always been use the force it's like an energy that you can tap into to do something there's no such thing as trust the force the force doesn't protect you because you hope it will yeah exactly like and not do anything that's not what the force is i want to be like harrison ford from episode seven <laughs> that's where not got, how the force works <laughs> that's not how the force works <laughs> well it's all i mean it's so frustrating because Okay, even though so they're they're even like Vader, there's a prophecy of Vader to come and balance or Anakin, I guess, to come and balance the force, right? And okay, so this this force, this entity, this this cosmic thing basically is behind this prophecy. But the prophecy wasn't fulfilled because of the force. The prophecy was fulfilled because of people's actions and misactions and mistakes and the consequences thereof not because it was destiny it was right. there was manipulate i mean darcidious manipulation there were actions there were reactions there were those are, those are the consequences and maybe you you can argue that this cyclical nature of a prophecy in general if you know the prophecy are your actions going to be more inclined to fulfill that prophecy, regardless of whether or not you want it to be fulfilled? Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. The The Force has been the most mismanaged part of all of Star Wars. And I would say that probably... I, I wouldn't include the prequels in that. I know we spoke of them fairly highly a few minutes ago, but... I mean, when it started about being metachlorians, like mi micro worms that are in your blood that produce force, like you shouldn't need to feel a need to explain it scientifically. Like the force is the force. 
Yeah, but but though that change though even further proves the point of like how can okay how can this little thing in your blood be fate? <laughs> it's in your blood. <laughs> you got Jedi DNA. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Makes no it doesn't sense. Make any sense. Now you've noted in these show notes, Andor's actor says no Jedi, and yes. that is why, yes, despite having no interest in this, that is why I am, I am prophesized to enjoy it, because there's no Jedi, <laughs> there's no fucking Jedi. I know this will bring balance to my Star Wars experience. I'm, I'm betting I'm gonna like this show. See, here's the benefit of this show for you, Leland. You're starting from neutral. You're not, you, you don't <laughs> oh, give a shit I'm about neutral. it. <laughs> you, you not giving a shit about something is like the best launch platform for you. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I mean, we talk about like it's, it's bad, but no. If you don't give a shit about it, it means you don't give a shit about it. So you're either going to be impressed or disappointed, but you are starting at neutral with this show. And you're right. I believe you potentially will like this show if there are indeed no Jedi or no Force. That takes one of the most annoying parts of Star Wars out of this for you. Now, you may not care for the Andor character, but and I don't know how much you actually care about politics and show shows. But what if the like political wrangling and like making this rebellion under the noses of this giant strong empire is actually an engaging story? I think that has potential. I think there is definitely potential there as well. Now, I don't want this series, though, to fall into a, a ring of power problem. I don't know many of these characters by name. So I need it as a layman, as a Star Wars layman. I need it. I need to be handheld through this experience because I want this interesting political intrigue. I want to be engaged with it, but I need to know... Who is who, and I need it pretty clearly explained to me without being beat over the head with it, right? That's a good point. Should I do some research, though, before the show? Like, that's what I'm wondering. Like, what do I need to look up? The best thing I could do is, like, watch the first episode or two before you and then let you know about it. You, you, okay, I would say you need to know who Bail Organa is, but you know who Bail Organa is because you've watched Obi-Wan. Right. So he should be important. Mon Mothma is going to be super important, though. And, but I think you've seen her because you've seen Return of the Jedi and you have seen Rogue One. Right. And she's in both of them. So, I mean, as long as you know Mon Mothma is like the former, like the person who forms the rebellion and that she's this imperial senator who does it under the nose of the emperor, um, I think you should be set. A name you would not have heard who is from the expanded universe, like the books, who I believe is going to be brought back. Senator Garm Bell Iblis. Um, you would not have heard of him. I th I have a sense they're going to bring him back to the show. In the books, he was important for the rebellion. And it was books bought or, or made like way before Disney bought Star Wars. Like we're talking um, the initial Timothy Zahn books from like 1991, like that far back. But he's a big character in the games, some of the games. And I would not be surprised if he shows up. Uh, have you watched Clone Wars Rebels yep. at all? Yep. Okay. Okay. Because, oh, what's his, what's his name? His name, I'm forgetting him. He was in Rogue One. Uh, African-American actor. Saw. Saw. 
Yeah, yeah, Saw Guerrera. I like yeah, that. Yeah. I like Saw's, him too. Yeah, good. He's back. He's back, and he's not hurt. Like he's he's a younger version of himself. So you know him. What I like about that character is like he's fanatical, and I, that's what's interesting about his character, because like he he deeply or he or maybe he becomes fanatical. Maybe that maybe this this his age here maybe he's not quite so far into the fanaticism but even from like a little bit of him from uh like rebels or whatever in the animated animated series he's i mean he's pretty fanatical even then too so i'm expecting him to be like like that here um because like he has his like he has the ideology right and he'll do anything to uphold that and anything like we see he literally will die for the cause, right? I mean, he, he does in Rogue One, so I think that's going to be interesting. And that that's like I I love Forrest Whitaker as well. Like I think he's a great actor. Yes, great actor. Uh, he, like he's good in like everything he's in, and that all that draws me to the show too. I, it's funny because we, we had the conversation a, a couple episodes ago about an actor is that enough to draw you to a certain property? And I mean, obviously, I'm going to watch this because like. I like to bitch about things and I need to watch things for me to bitch about things. So <laughs> I'm going to watch it. But Forrest Whitaker definitely pulls me towards this series for sure. And I don't know what role or how big role he's going to have in it, but I have to assume it's going to be fairly large. Yeah. My, my intuition on this show, and this is just bullshit intuition is good. It's good. I think this show was developed in a time and by creators that are like, this is what works for Disney Star Wars. This is what hasn't worked. And they're trying to be on the what's worked side. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's what the fans want. And what the fans want right now in 2022 from their Star Wars, honestly, is like no Skywalkers, reduced or no Jedi, dark adult stories. Like, make it depressing. Make people die. Have some fucking stakes. This is one of the things you've said about Star Wars for years. Too often there's no stakes. Everybody lives. Everybody has a happy ever after for the most part. And, and you know, have some stakes. Have characters that we like. Okay, you're watching Game of Thrones. Like, you know, Ned Stark, end of season one, beheaded. Like, pull some of that shit in Andor and, and I'll be happy. By the way... Oh, what's the guy's name? He's from Firefly, the actor, but he plays K2SO, the Imperial assassin droid. Oh, from yeah. One. Yep. He's he's back for this show. And I really like that robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that, too. I thought he was he was good. Yeah, I, I actually have high hopes for Andor. And I hope it pays off. But we shall see. I mean, talking about it's kind of giving me hype for it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm kind of getting excited for it now. It, it, it's weird. Like, talking about it with you the last few minutes, I actually felt that. I'm like, okay, he's going from a show that he gives no shits about <laughs> until he's kind of talking himself into oh, it. Oh, no. Force Whitaker, no Jedi, <laughs> dark themes, reaction against Kurt Star Wars. I'm, like, imagining, too, like... I mean, we're, we're, it's it's going to be like guerrilla warfare. Like they're going to be like fucking yes. Like they're literally going to be terrorizing terrorists. the empire, right? They they will be terrorists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all. That's all they can do. And I think you see that in the trailer too. Like they have very primitive guns. They don't even look like lasers. They look like space AK forty sevens. Like they're they're projectile weapons. And um, you know, there's some good shots of how powerful the empire is. I think there's a shot of like a 
primitive world and it's like whenever they have a star destroyer like within the atmosphere yeah. just like blocking out a city <laughs> yeah it's amazing yeah yeah they did they did that in rogue one they've done that in a few other shots star destroyers are so cool but uh um yeah i i'm i'm looking forward to the human spirit like this spark this very beginning to strike back against the empire when the empire is at its absolute power and i hope we see the empire at some of its absolute power whether that's like new officers like bad guys villains like i i want to see the empire like tear some shit up like we know they're eventually going to lose Right. Let's let let's see how bad they were when they first took power. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what state is this rebellion going to get to by the end of this series? I'm assuming this is like another limited series. Yes, my guess is that it will that you'll see at the very end that Mon Mothma has unified them. You'll probably see like a staging shot of like a fleet, the fleet that was in Rogue One, maybe that you know attacked over the planet some star cruisers i think what you're going to see over this show is mon mothma and perhaps some other senators bring these different groups of terrorists and guerrillas together okay that's cool like show us the hope that they tried to portray in rogue one yeah yeah because we've i mean we really haven't seen the rebels form we've seen the rebels when they have formed and we've heard of like i think at the end of episode three we hear you know oh people are against the empire some people are starting to band together but we've never actually seen the rebellion form which again i know i'm repeating myself here but that's my the biggest part of this show that i'm i'm looking forward to is like let's see how it's formed i think i i think it's a really it's a really smart story for them to tell right now i think you you nailed it when you said like this is this is the time for it speaking of that's time we're at a time oh <laughs> dang time. that went that went that went even faster than i thought yeah listener we had done i it was like this uh fourth mini thing was supposed to be a semi-troll because we went from star wars to, to star, star wars, wars. <laughs> but uh yeah that went really quick um, well, I enjoyed that. It kind of kept us on our tippy toes. Yeah, I liked it. it. I liked efficient. it. Uh, okay, well, let's end the show. Our website, ttpopcast.com. Uh, if you want to hear us more, talk about more of any of these mini segments, perhaps we can turn it into a full segment. <laughs> I don't know. Let us know. Uh, we're at the Tia Popcast on Facebook, TT Popcast uh, on Instagram. I'm Leland underscore Steel on Twitter, and that is who I've been. And I've been Moby, and I will say, take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye.